And he said to all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. For he that shall lose his life for my sake shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself and cast away himself? For he that shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man shall be ashamed, when he shall come in his majesty and that of his Father and of the holy angels. Hey, hey there. Welcome back to Catholic with a Zen Mind. If you notice the difference in music, then you no doubt know that this is another episode of Scriptures and Parables. That's right, scriptures and parables, the episodes of Catholic with the Zen Mind, where what we do is we take similar Buddhist parables or verses from scripture, and we compare them, go over the concepts between them. Or we take sayings from Jesus and one of the many Buddhas, and we compare them. Today we'll kind of do both. I've got a Zen parable from uh, Gateless Gate and Blue Cliff Records, and I have uh, our intro, Luke. Uh, chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And then I have a, a saying from, uh, well, it's actually from Mark, it's the one they use, not Luke's. But And then a saying that from one of the Buddhas that mirrors it. Um, so let's go ahead and get into it, shall we? So I want to start off here with... Many of you probably think that exactly what I'm going to be focusing on in this episode and in that verse that I read from Luke is the uh, deny thyself aspect, which that that is what I'm <laughs> going to be focusing on. No doubt that's probably what I've decided to name this episode. <laughs> um, but that's not technically the exact verse that inspired this episode of the podcast is actually Mark 8.35, uh, and it says, those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. And now, that's not the Dewey Rames version. In the Dewey Rames version, uh, it says pretty much the same thing. It just says also those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Uh, and after that verse it goes on to say what shall it profit a man if he uh, should lose his soul basically. You know, gain all this stuff but lose his soul. Uh, but the the saying from Jesus uh, says those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Now we'll read here. <coughs> A parallel saying from a Buddha. Uh, now the book I'm reading this from is called the uh, Jesus and Buddha: The Parallel Sayings, edited by Marcus Borg. Uh, this is pretty much just a simple, straightforward. Hey, here's sayings that sound similar <laughs> between Buddhas and uh, parts of Scripture. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting book. It's 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 definitely some things that you can reflect and meditate on if uh, if you're interested in picking it up. Uh, but this is the Buddha's saying on this here page uh, that goes with 
the saying we have from or the uh, Mark 8:35: those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. The the saying the book has that parallels it from the Buddha is that with the relinquishing of all thought and egotism, the enlightened one is liberated through not clinging. And it says here that that uh, is from uh, Majima Nikaya. Probably pronouncing that wrong, but so what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of go over both of these quotes a little bit and kind of dive into the differences between them. Now you see, because Jesus is saying one thing, and this quote from the uh, from one of the Buddhas here is this is saying something completely different. And, and you, m many people might not think so. And, you know, it might not even look like that on the surface. But in reality, that's mostly what's happening. Uh, is that these, there's completely two different things these <laughs> sayings are talking about. And I'll, and I'll explain more and exactly why. Uh, but here's kind of my preliminary thoughts on it, right? So, those who wish to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. For my sake right what 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 does that mean or in my and as the dewey i said is stated in the dewey rames for my sake and the sake of the gospel what is what does that mean well i mean first thing that comes to mind is the martyrs right they lost their life for sake of the gospel preaching the gospel preaching jesus christ they were martyred killed for for doing so they were saved here it says here in mark 8 35, we know they were saved. And it almost doesn't really parallel the end of the Buddha's phrase, the enlightened one is liberated through not clinging. Well, how, so the book is paralleling these two statements, but they're saying completely different things, worlds apart. <laughs> One is saying, do you want to be enlightened and liberated? Uh, my sake, hello, I'm Jesus. <laughs> I will do so. And then the Buddha says that enlightenment, the enlightened one is liberated. Enlightenment is reached through not clinging. He's not saying liberation and enlightenment reached through Jesus, which is what Jesus is, is saying. That's to an extent. So let's look at it here. That whole statement, those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What kind of a detachment is he really talking about? Is he talking about a detachment of the self or of desires that the self uh, uh, <laughs> wants or just denying our concupiscence if anyone is any return listener from any of my very earlier episodes and I gave the definition for the word concupiscence which is mainly just the the nature of man to have a desire, a natural physical desire for things that are sinful. Concupiscence, our fallen nature. So, is that, that, is that the denial of self? Denial of our concupiscence, of our sins, of our sinful fallen nature? And then if we deny all of that, what, what's left? Well, there's there's all of our nature that resembles Christ or that Christ works through us when he's not being <laughs> blocked by all the sinful concupiscence that's running through our minds and our desires how d and one would ask well how do you how do you get rid of concupiscence and desires and well through prayer and a thing that Catholics call fasting and meditative prayer like the rosary and all sorts of things. 
And we can get into that later. That's actually the next segment of episodes I want to get into is the different, uh, the next segments of episodes and series of episodes uh, is to be the different kinds of Catholic meditations, Catholic-friendly meditations that we, you know, stuff like the rosaries, Catholic mindfulness, memento mori, um, mental prayer, contemplative prayer, meditative prayer, um, all sorts of stuff. So back to the matter at hand. Um, so what Jesus is saying is deny your sins, deny all of your worldly wants. Follow me. But he, at one point he says, if anyone who wants to follow me, they must pick up their cross, deny thyself daily. Pick up their cross. He's telling us to suffer like he did. Not exactly, not to go crucify, be crucified. <laughs> but he's telling us to suffer. Because that is how we truly conquer our concupiscence. Because it takes a very strong will to persevere through suffering and not to cave. And a will of a human being that can persevere through suffering. Well, that human being can persevere through concupiscence and have self-control. It's what suffering teaches us. It's what we learn through suffering is self-control and humility. And these things are both very important in the world of Catholic virtue. And why? Well, uh, that's a different episode topic. <laughs> but So that's that's kind of an overview of the Jesus side of what is being said there. Um, and we'll come back and we'll discuss some more of this later. Uh, because right now I, I, I feel like we should turn and spend some attention on the Buddhist side of things. The phrase, with the relinquishing of all thought and egotism, the enlightened one is liberated through not clinging. It's time I think we take a look at this one which the Majima Nikaya, I, I, I got this wrong, actually. This is a Buddhist scripture, not a Buddha. So let's dive into that. Like, the relinquishing of all thought and egotism. I mean, this is what I talk about all the time, the Zen mind. <laughs> um, not specifically, exactly, the Zen mind. But this is the goal. One of the goals of Buddhism is to relinquish all thought and egotism, all egotism, all egotism, all of it, not even a tiny shred to be left for a positive self-image. There is no self to have a positive image of in the mind and view of a Buddhist. So this is what this first half of this phrase is Telling us, and the second half is just saying that through this, well, that's how you reach enlightenment, because you're not clinging to anything. You don't have this, you know, you this ego, this me, this I, this self that's running your life. You're just, you know, going through your life. <laughs> you're Zen. <laughs> um, so I have here uh, actually a Zen parable from this is from the the gateless gate and this is uh basho's no mind no buddha a monk asked basho what is the buddha basho answered no mind no buddha ah uh, says here, if you understand this, you have finished studying Zen. <laughs> well, they couldn't be more right, as a matter of fact. Uh, but here's a verse that goes along with this short, short parable. It says, present a sword if you meet a swordsman. Don't offer a poem unless you meet a poet. When talking Tell one-third of it. Don't divulge the whole at once. 
So, I mean, that's some short, profound. <laughs> so let's read. Let's read here what the gateless gate has to say in the notes about what is the Buddha, and the answer is no mind, no Buddha. And the verse presents a sword. If you meet a swordsman, don't offer a poem unless you meet a poet. When talking, tell one third of it. Don't divulge the whole at once. Notes. What is the Buddha? This question is constantly asked by struggling Zen monks, and no two masters offer the same answer. No mind, no Buddha. Earlier, Basso had said, This very mind is the Buddha. And Dai Bai reached an understanding. But now, Basso is denying his former words. Many elaborate explanations have been given of this problem. But to put it briefly, this very mind is the Buddha, is the thesis, and no mind, no Buddha, is the antithesis. Then what is the synthesis? Basso himself answered this question. He once said to say, this very mind is the Buddha, is to stop a baby from crying. Then what do you say when the baby stops crying? Asked a monk. No mind, no Buddha. What do you say when a man comes who has finished these two? I would say to him, no things. How about when a man comes who has finished all these? I would make him understand the great way. Then what is the great way? This very mind is the Buddha. And again on to no mind, no Buddha. This circuit was also stopped by Basso. He sent a monk to ask Daibai, who, real quick, Daibai is the name of a man who, his name literally means uh, Great Plum, <laughs> and you'll see why I bring that up here in a minute. Uh, but he sent a monk to ask Daibai, who had now retired to live the life of a hermit, what did you get under Basso, and what makes you live on this mountain? Daibai answered, Basso said to me, this very mind is the Buddha, and that made me live a life of seclusion on this mountain. But lately, Basso's Buddhism is different. Different? How? He says, no mind, no Buddha. Hmm. The old dotard bewilders others. Let him say what he likes. I say nothing, but this very mind is the Buddha. The monk returned and informed Basso of this, and Basso said, The plum is ripened. <laughs> Great plum, see? Yeah. <laughs> and then the phrase, uh, so that's, that's, that's the notes there for no mind, no Buddha, and what is the Buddha? Um, and it's really just saying right there, you know, no thought. Don't have a mind. That is the mind. That is, that is exactly the mind. There's actually another poem in here. Um, it is, I believe it is, Everyday mi Ordinary Mind is the Way. Uh, that's by Nansen. And we'll we'll go over that one one day. Not today. <laughs> so the next part of the uh, Basso's No Mind, No Buddha, here is the Muman's comment. And it says, if you understand this, you have finished studying Zen. First, you have to understand, this very mind is the Buddha. Okay. This very mind is the Buddha. To understand this, simple, but it's not easy, okay? <laughs> um, the way your mind works, the way your mind operates, 
at its natural base level is exactly what he's talking about. This very mind is the Buddha. See, the Buddha means the enlightened one. They're asking, well, how do you reach Buddhahood? How do you become a Buddha? How do you become enlightened? Oh, well, to do that, uh, you use this very mind. What they're saying is, you don't change a dang thing about your mind. You're already a Buddha. That's the point of Zen. The minute you try and grasp and to reach for what you're wanting, you lose everything. You lose your Zen. Um, it's kind of like I explained in an earlier episode about the fist. You raise your fist, and you don't think about raising your fist. And you don't notice it. You don't label it. You don't. It's just a spontaneous action, and you put your fist back down. That's Zen. But if you pick up your fist, but, but you're thinking about it and you're talking about it like I am, <laughs> that's not Zen. You lost your Zen. It's kind of like if you've ever been driving and you completely zone out for half an hour and then you end up at your destination you're like whoa I do not remember what happened <laughs> how did I get here that's zen you're operating on a pure almost instinctual basis or have you ever been driving and you said oh I turn here er, and you made a wrong turn because you're uh, maybe you're going somewhere completely different than you normally do but the way you just tried to go is the way you drive every day to get to work that's Zen. That's a, that's the Zen mind. That is the very mind is the Buddha. That is the way. So the last point I think that I really want to touch on is the uh, no Buddha, no mind. So, and it, it, it just simply goes like this. If there's really no goal in Zen Buddhist meditation, but... If the goal is to dissolve the self, right? Because uh, the self is trying to achieve Buddhahood. Well, when you achieve enlightenment, what self achieves that enlightenment? You've dissolved it. There is no self to achieve it. So this that's the saying. No mind, no Buddha. There is no Buddha to achieve. There is no mind that will achieve it. It does not exist because the minute you find it, you lose it. No mind, no Buddha. Disillusion of self. There is no identity. Like I said, it's simple. It's not easy. It's hard to explain. Simple to grasp once you can grasp it. Uh, And then you don't want to grasp it because obviously Zen grasping, bad. Um, But so... <clears throat> but if if you can understand this very mind is the Buddha, so you you are you're supposed to be as you are. That's it. If you can understand that, and you understand no mind, no Buddha. Okay, he's saying the minute you begin to think, oh, I need to obtain Buddhahood, you've lost it. The minute. You begin to think like, oh, I need to think about obtaining Buddhahood. You have now lost a mind capable of obtaining Buddhahood. I hope this makes sense. (laughs) Because that is probably the simplest way that I can put it. No mind, no Buddha. Is basically like saying... If you think about it, you lose the game. If you don't think about it, you're on point. So, um, and then it has the the verse, present a sword if you meet a swordsman. Don't offer a poem unless you meet a poet. When talking, tell one third of it. Don't divulge the whole at once. Now this one, they only offer insight on two of the phrases there. Present a sword if you meet a swordsman. And this is basically just saying, suit your sermon to your audience. So, for instance, me here with this podcast, I have a specific audience, I guess you could say, that I'm looking for. I'm looking for Catholics who have a open mind towards more Eastern practice, and maybe some Buddhists or uh, anyone from 
an Eastern practice that has an interest in Catholicism. My goal isn't to really blend anything together. It's just to kind of discuss it all. Me, myself, I'm Catholic. I'm more of a traditional Catholic, but I have an understanding of Zen that allows me to see the Zen that is in Catholicism, and that is all I'm trying to present here within the podcast. So this is an example of present a sword if you meet a swordsman. I'm using what I know of Eastern spiritual ideologies to present uh, the parallels that I see and the differences and the discrepancies that I see to an audience that I believe is well receptive to them. And I I hope it's working. (laughs) I hope the people that are actually listening and people that actually find my show, um, they're actually interested in this topic. Otherwise, they're just going to think I'm crazy. Some of them are going to think I'm downright heretical. Um, As I've said before, I'm walking a very winding, very windy, thin path through a very tightly packed minefield. (laughs) Um, But it is a fun adventure. I will say that I'm learning quite a bit myself through all this. So... But, so, and then the other one, don't offer a poem unless you meet a poem, a poet. Don't offer a poem unless you meet a poet. Don't cast pearls before swine. You want a good explanation of this, a good example, real quick? Let's take a look at Facebook. Okay, now I do have a Facebook for the page, and I use that page to find fans and to build a following. Now, on Facebook, there's a big problem with people in communication. The biggest uh, misconception about communication is that that it has occurred, as my cousin Rufus, uh, a.k.a. Mike, likes to put it. I forgot who actually says the quote. Um, So, Say you are a cardiologist and you get into a discussion on Facebook with some random person about the science of the heart. Are you going to pull out every single ounce of medical school knowledge that you have just to prove to this person that you know what you're talking about? I mean, do do you have to prove to this person that you know what you're talking about? This is Average Joe on Facebook. No, you don't. You're a cardiologist. This guy, I mean, I mean no disrespect to anyone who does this because it seems like a pretty hard job. Maybe he's a bricklayer. Doesn't know much about cardiology. You don't need to give him what the textbooks say. You know, If it was a colleague... Or if it was someone within your realm of intellectual uh, equality, you know. But anyone else, there's really no need for it. Um, So that's, that's kind of what those sayings there pertain to. So, so really, this this the saying here from the Buddha with the relinquishing of all thought and egotism. So, obtaining mushin, that, which means thoughtlessness, thoughtlessness, which, well, more accurately, means no mind, mushin. With the relinquishing of all thought and egotism. Because relinquishing egotism, relinquishing the self, and the attachment of the I, the I-me dichotomy that we have, um, through relinquishing thought and, 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 and this egotism is how you reach enlightenment because you're no longer clinging because of the egotism because it's like, oh, well, I like ice cream there is no I to like the ice cream if you can relinquish it and that's what Buddhism sets out to do and that's not what Christianity sets out to do at all so what we'll do here now is we'll hop back over into Christianity and we'll discuss some more about the verse from Luke chapter 9, 23 through 26, which was, 
our intro. So in this passage from Luke, it says, or Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And as I said, he's telling us to suffer here with the cross, and take up our cross daily, follow me. Telling us to suffer, because suffering is, well, that's a, that's the biggest way to deny the self, isn't it? To put your uh, desires and your sinful concupiscence in check is to suffer, to mortify yourself, not in a sadomasochistic way or anything like that. <laughs> no pleasure from pain. I'm not saying anything like that. There should be no pleasure in the pain of suffering for Christ. Honestly, it should be all suffering. <laughs> um, but you know, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. Daily suffering. Deny yourself. Daily suffering. Deny your desires. Deny everything that's sinful. Take up your cross. Suffer in atonement for it. And follow me. Listen to my teachings is what he's saying. Follow me. Listen to my teachings. What I preach we went over the Beatitudes, I think, in the, one of the last episodes. That's what he's talking about. Follow me. Listen to what I'm saying here. <laughs> and as I'll go over and discuss here in a little bit, he's also talking about uh, following me in a sense of see what I'm doing and understand why I'm doing it. And we'll get on, we'll get into that here in a little bit. He goes on and says, "For whoever will save his life shall lose it. For he that shall lose his life for my sake shall save it." So there's our uh, our parallel from the from the book parallel sayings. There is our verse that sparked the episode, and uh, I think we went over that one. <laughs> a little earlier well enough but just for good measure you know you want to save your life to lose it I put it very well to someone very recently okay we were discussing the right and wrong of the support of a Catholic supporting the death penalty and I'm not going to get into that we're not here to talk about politics on this podcast. Uh, I will say that this is a subject that I, I feel a lot of Catholics should really research before they just have an opinion about it. But it, I was asked the question, if someone is uh, is on death row and they accept Jesus Christ and truly repent should they uh, should they still have to suffer their death sentence and, and, and I responded using this verse from Luke and from it's Mark 8.35 and I said well if they're only accepting Jesus Christ in order to get out of jail and to not die because they know that they'll be released in that fashion, then it'll be false. And then I quoted Mark eight thirty-five. I said, "Those who want to, those who wish to save their life, shall lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake, will save it." And then I proceeded to say, if this person truly accepted Christ and His message, they would follow His example, where He, even wrongly accused and sentenced and convicted he himself was put to death wrongly so and if you follow Christ you follow a, tr a, a, a just God and if he is just and your sentence is just would you not be obliged 
go along with it, especially if, unlike Christ, you were guilty of the crime you had been punished with. It's just some food for thought. Like I said, I'm not trying to advocate one way or another. This is just what I said to this person. And I was trying, I was trying mainly to get the point across that if this person is trying to save their life by coming to Christ, it's not going to work. <laughs> You're going to lose their life. You know, and it's not anything against anybody. It's just how things go. You can't just accept Christ just because you think it's going to save your skin. The intention isn't there. Your heart's not there. Um, and after that, he says, For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself and cast away himself? And he's saying, if you chase after all these worldly possessions and these worldly gains, if you become like little old Bill Gates or Mr. Jeff Bezos, you have all these tons of wealth, money. Okay. If you lose your soul in that process, what good does that do you? You're only on planet Earth <laughs> relatively speaking for a blink of an eye what does wealth have to what do you have to gain from all that wealth in the grand scheme of all existence maybe in the present sure tons but in the grand scheme of all of time it's nothing That's why eternity is a concept outside of time. And if you're worried about your life eternally, wealth should be something that's not an issue. Something that you're not concerned about. You can still have a concern for making enough money to survive and to live. And live comfortably, sure. Who wants to live in a house that freezes in the wintertime and well, suffocate you in the summertime. However, you don't have to be a Bezos. You don't have to be a Gates. You know? After all of this, he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of them. When I come back, in all my glory. And I'm paraphrasing that, but that's what he's saying. And, uh, yeah, if you, if, you don't, if you don't humble yourself, if you don't deny yourself, if you don't suffer for Christ, he will deny you. And that's exactly why Catholics have a tradition of suffering as an offering that we see suffering as taking up our cross uh, and we offer our suffering you know for our sins and for others sins and you know sometimes for the for uh, the souls in purgatory uh, we offer our suffering up for tons of other reasons um, now real quick I did want to go through uh, Mark's reading of uh, our intro, Luke, uh, chapter 9, 23 through 26. And in Mark, it would be chapter 8, verse 35 through 38. And it goes, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? 
And right here, verse 37 is why I wanted to read this. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What is your soul worth? <laughs> I, I said earlier I was going to, uh, in an episode here sometime soon, start to go over more Christian and Catholic-friendly meditations. Well, here's one for Christians of all forms. You can meditate on Scripture. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What is your soul worth? He's asking you what attachments you have, what sinful attachments you have that are worth your soul. And are they really worth your soul? Grasping attachments, sinful uh, concupiscence, desire for things that we find pleasure in. Let me ask you this. Time, the concept of time, right? How long is how long is a human being around when you look at the grand scheme of all time? We could call that eternity, I guess. <laughs> it's a blink, right? A blink of an eye. It's all we are is a snap of the finger. So, the pleasure that you seek, the sinful attachment that you have, is it worth it to lose eternity? You can go back and listen to my episode on death, rebirth, and resurrection and see why <laughs> I would say that you would not want to gamble of anything being worth the price of your soul at all. And then he says in verse 38, For he that shall be ashamed of me and, my, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man also will be ashamed of him when he shall come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So I wanted to read that there in Mark basically for Verse 38, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So I figured that maybe we could move along here and read a few verses elsewhere. And I am I just pulled these up from uh, Google search. Uh, the website it took me to is openbible.info, uh, and these are all from the English Standard Version. Most of these are all uh, verses of about self-denial. Um, the first one that I want to read here is Luke 14:26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Um, now first I want to address the word hate in this verse. It's not the word hate like we use today. Um, or at least it's not meant to be. It probably should have been translated as a different word, but hate is what we got, so hate is what we got to work with. So hate, in the sense that they're using it, is not hate as in you're actively willing the uh, misfortune of another, which is what hate is. It's the opposite of love, which is to actively will the good of another. Uh, hate would be to actively will the misfortune of another. One should probably keep in mind, too, that there's over six, around six, if not over six, words uh, in Greek that people use for the word love, and it, each one means a different kind of love. So there is a very distinct possibility that the same is true with the word hate and at least how it's used in its contexts in the ancient culture of the times uh, when Jesus was speaking these words. So it, it, it could have just been mistranslated uh, and there could be, you know, 
multiple meanings of the word hate, just like there is multiple meanings of the word love in Greek, uh, and it just was not translated correctly. Um, so in this sense, he's not saying to actively rule the misfortune of your own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters and your own life. He's saying, uh, if you love these people and yourself more than me, more than God, you can't be my disciple. That's not how it works. Because you were made to love, uh, to know me, to love me, and to serve me. That is how it goes. Not these other people. Not yourself. Me. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, so that's a good little verse there about self-denial uh, in a sense of relationships. You know, you can't have a relationship that you view as more valuable than a relationship with God in Christ. Uh, so we'll move on here to John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If, any, if anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. Uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory, really. Don't be materialistic. Don't fall in love with the things of the world. Don't be so obsessed that you're gathering collections of useless things. You can be a collector of things you enjoy to collect if it brings you a peace of mind, but don't be a hoarder. Don't be, don't desire these things so badly that you know, <laughs> they become the center of your universe. That's where things get dicey, right? If, if this kind of love precedes the love of the Father, of God, then his love is not with you, is what's his, what it's saying. Um, so here in Luke 14.33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, with the worldly possessions, denouncing all that one stakes claim to can't be Jesus' disciple if you love worldly objects more than God. It's just how simple it is. We'll jump to Luke sixteen thirteen. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Again, with the material possessions. This one more focused on the money. And for a good reason. Money leads to all forms of material possessions. And money itself can become an obsession. You love material things and you love money more than God. You just can't do it. Just can't do it. And that's, you know, those are pretty much, I think I've exhausted most of the <laughs> verses that I had lined up to read, you know, and it just goes to show you denial of worldly possessions of the self, it's, it's just as much a Catholic teaching, backed up by scripture as much as it is a Buddhist uh, teaching. But as I said earlier, it's about two different things. It's about denying one's self to make way for Christ in your heart. To vanquish one's sinfulness. To make way for the purity that Christ can give you. And in the other sense, it's dissolving the idea of the ego. And achieving a thoughtless mind. To become enlightened. There's difference between the two of them. One's vastly different than the other. And to drive the point about the differences home, I have an article here, and I don't believe this is a Catholic website, but it helped me out <laughs> for the episode, and I believe that they do uh, raise some good points and 
do put this in a very good way. So this is preachitteachit.org, Buddhist error of self-denial. What does the Bible teach? Now, I won't say that the Buddhists have an error in the idea of self-denial in terms of materialism, in terms of the ego, the I, a full dissolution of it, I don't see being a good thing. And honestly, you can't fully dissolve the self. You can't. I would argue that it is actually impossible to do so. Because to even set out to try to attempt to do so, the self must decide that it wants to. So honestly, if you can talk yourself out of doing it, congratulations, you've dissolved yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a little bit of a joke. So we're going to read here. Uh, these are just some parts of the article I took out of it that I uh, thought were relevant to our discussion and our topic today. I will link the article into the show notes if you would like to go and check it out yourself. Uh, so here we have the, these are the parts that I... Uh, I thought were the most relevant here. Uh, we must understand the difference between denial from a Christian perspective and a denial as a religious practice in other world religions. The Bible has much to say about self-denial, but it has a unique purpose in the life of a Christian. Denial is a concept found in virtually every major religion. Various ideas on the practice of self-denial can be found in Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, and other religious and philosophical streams. In most religious practices, like Buddhism, self-denial is a means to achieve an end. What I was basically just saying is the self must decide it wants to dissolve itself. Self-denial is a means to an end. Ironically, self-denial is a means of attaining something for one's self. Selflessness. Exactly what I just said. <laughs> Unlike Buddhism and the other major religions of the world, self-denial in Christianity is not a means to an end, nor is it a religious practice. Self-denial is a loving expression of benefit for others, in obedience to God. Now see, this is why I wanted to read this. This is an aspect of self-denial that I did not talk about. There are three great differences between most religions and Christian Christianity regarding self-denial. Before we get to discussing that, the point I didn't make about self-denial. If you uh, deny thyself, carry up thy cross, and follow Jesus, Jesus said that he came to do what? He came to serve. Right? Uh, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus was asked in one episode, in, in one sense, he talks about children, th those who are humble as a children. But in another sense, he talks about those who humble themselves, right? Who humble themselves, who are serve others. Because if you're serving others, there is no better way to express your humility. So to deny thyself, to humble yourself, to be humble, to serve others. And it's not a love for the other person. Buddhism itself says, hey, love other people, but it is a love that is almost selfish because every in Buddhism they believe that everyone is connected. They're all one. They're all the same thing. I, if, if I was a Buddhist and I looked at someone else, I would see myself. That's what they believe. So their kindness and their compassion, their generosity is 
in a backwards sense, kind of selfish. <laughs> it's not really, because it's for other people. From a Catholic Christian standpoint, you look at it and you're like, man, those are so great people. Look at that person that's not somebody else helping somebody else. We see it for what it is. They don't. But they still help other people. It's not a bad thing. Not at all. The Catholics, in one sense, sure, we are all one but we are all one in Christ. We all see Christ within each other. And to do something for somebody else out of charity, out of generosity, out of goodwill, well, what you do to the least of these others, you do to me, right? To deny thyself is to be charitable. We'll explain, or we'll explore some more of that here, but the three great differences between most religions and Christianity regarding self-denial. Buddhism and other religions. One, self-denial is a means to spiritual enlightenment. Two, self-denial is a religious practice. Three, self-denial is performed for the benefit of one's self. So now we move to Christianity. One, self-denial is an indicator of pre-existing character. Two, self-denial is not a religious practice. Rather, it is an expression of love for others and for God. Three, self-denial is not performed for personal spiritual benefit. It is always performed on behalf of others. Self-denial indicates we are growing in our love for God and for others. Denying oneself for oneself is not an expression of selflessness. Rather, it is a misguided expression of selfishness. Self-denial without love is a self-denial without substance and is meaningless. As a manifestation of love, self-denial has certain conditions. It must be truly selfless. Self-denial exercised to gain some kind of spiritual standing is merely the replacing of one personal desire or goal with another. It is nothing more than a trade as opposed to a true denial. True self-denial puts down our hopes, desires, and goals to submit to God's will or the desires, hopes, and goals of others. Jesus modeled this in the garden before his crucifixion when he prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. Luke twenty-two forty-two. The Apostle Paul expressed that his life was literally nothing to him. Acts twenty twenty-four, twenty-one thirteen, and in Philippians three four through eleven. Paul took his example from Jesus who made himself nothing, taking the form of a bond servant, being born in the likeness of men. Philippians 2.7 Biblical self-denial must cost us something. Biblical self-denial invokes personal loss and may require suffering. Unlike Many so-called faith preachers today, the Apostle Paul denied himself financial benefit from his preaching, 1 Corinthians 9, through 23 which sometimes put him in a difficult way. In order to fulfill God's will, Moses denied himself food and drink for 40 days, Exodus 34, 28. King David set the standard when he said he would not 
offer any sacrifice that cost me nothing. Second Samuel twenty four twenty four. Self denial must benefit others, God or both. In religious practices like Buddhism, self denial is practiced as part of achieving enlightenment. In other words, a person denies self in order to gain something for himself. This is kind of a spiritual oxymoron. The model from the Bible is radically different, and far nobler. We deny ourselves in order to benefit other people and God's kingdom. Nor is self-denial a means to some spiritual end. Rather, it is a signpost of what is already in the heart. Matthew sixteen twenty four through twenty six, John twelve twenty five through twenty six, and Romans six twelve through fourteen, encourage us to deny sin and ourselves in order to attain salvation. But this form of self denial is not a religious practice; rather, it is an acknowledgment of our sinful condition and need for a savior. We deny ourselves that we might give ourselves to Christ and become his instrument for the benefit of others. Self-denial is engaged by some as a religious practice to attain enlightenment or some greater spiritual standing. In such cases, it is nothing more than a form of self-expression. The correct path of self-denial is not to deny oneself for one's own benefit. Rather, it is to deny oneself for Christ. Jesus Christ denied himself that we might have eternal life. How small a thing it is for him to ask us to sacrifice ourselves for him and for others. Considering all that he has already done for us. And anyone who is saying, well, self-denial and serving others, that, that makes no sense. That you can't, I don't, there's no way you can tie those together. In our opening, in the intro, the words, follow me, stand out at this point in time. If anyone wishes to follow me, let them pick up thy cross daily and follow me. Why did Jesus pick up his cross? If not, to save the souls of the likes of you and me. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Another episode of Scriptures and Parables in the bag. Remember, everybody, self-denial, yeah, it's a valid practice, but it's not the only part of the practice. You might be denying yourself, but you're not doing it you know, for yourself. <laughs> Just like the example of Christ. He didn't crucify or he didn't let himself be crucified for himself did he and by his example we're led to deny ourselves be humble to deny ourselves and our sinful attachments our grasping and we are to deny ourselves for others to be of service to others as he exemplified. You can find me on Facebook. You can look up Catholic with the Zen Mind. You'll probably be able to find the show. Same picture. I believe it's 
facebook.com forward slash catholics and you can find me on twitter at kfc at kofc underscore crusader and if you want to contact me the direct route you can email me at catholic zen mind at yahoo.com as everybody as always everybody (laughs) it's getting late time to go to bed (laughs) as always everybody send hard or don't pray harder god bless stay humble